When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Cow Corner. We're here this week to review the second test between India and Australia. And this week, Cow Corner is full. That corner of the ground is packed to the rafters with all four of us for the first time, maybe. I don't know. I can't remember any of these, but all four of us are here today to review this test match. I'll start with Glenn over in Wyoming. Good morning. How are you? Good morning. You pulled me out of bed before 10am. You know, the things I do for Cow Corner. Uh, Feeling good. Thank you, Dan. Great to see you all. And sorry if we run over the Bournemouth-Brentford uh, match, which kicks off in 45 minutes. But <laughs> you, you've just told me you will start streaming anyway. So if anyone does hear any um, football commentary in the background or if, if Ben yells, uh, <laughs> that's why that happens. Uh, I'm also joined by Zach. How are you? I'm good, thank you, Dan. How are you? Very well, thank you. Just been just been knocked into tier four here in the Midlands. So, you know, enjoying some company this evening. Uh, and Will, down in London, t- been in tier four for ages. How are you? I'm doing great, mate. Thank you. I've got an India win to talk about today. So so we don't have frustrated or angry or crying Will today. I think this is the first time our listeners might have met Cheery Will. So I, I hope they enjoy him for this for this pod. Uh, before we do get into the India-Australia uh, review, let's look at the news uh, around the world of cricket. In the past week, and there's a, a heck of a lot going on at the minute, three test matches at once, the BBL... And the ICC chucked in their Player of the Decade awards, which I don't think anybody was waiting for, but suddenly were sort of flung upon us uh, on social media. Uh, let's start with South Africa versus Sri Lanka, the Boxing Day test match. South Africa winning a fairly boring test match. I think we'll all agree pretty convincingly. A few headlines to come out of there. Uh, Faf Duplessis with 199 um, in South Africa's one and only innings of 621. Uh, Dean Elgar made 95, Aidan Markham 68 at the top of the order, and Temba Bavuma made 71 um, in a bizarre dismissal in which he didn't nick it, but aggressively walked off the pitch thinking he did nick it. No review, and he was gone. He didn't get a chance to um, redeem himself there because uh, Sri Lanka were then bowled out for 180 in their chase, um, losing by an innings and 45 runs. Interestingly, their first inning score of 396 was their highest ever in South Africa, and they were looking good until... Uh, they started to bowl and unfortunately it didn't look great. Uh, and New Zealand-Pakistan, that finished today. A, a fascinating test match, this one. I think the polar opposite to what happened over in South Africa. Uh, New Zealand winning on the final day with four and a half overs left. Um, friend of the pod or, you know, pod legend, Fawad Alam, made 100. 
Um, an 11 year wait between hundreds. We'll come on to that in a second with Glenn. Uh, Tim Southey took his 300th test wicket. Uh, Kane Williamson made another delightful ton um, in what has been a stellar 2020 for him. And it was Mitch Santner who took the final wicket. Uh, Glenn, you watched quite a lot of this test match. Um, what did you make of it? it? It looked fascinating. And that final image on the end of day five or day four, whatever it was, of or day five, of all the bats, all the fielders around the bat, that classic test match field. How was this test? Uh, how did you enjoy it? Um, well, great summary there, Dan. Um, it was honestly one of the best test matches I've seen in the last couple of years. It had absolutely everything. Um, so first of all, New Zealand um, got 431 in the first innings, as you said, Williamson with a magnificent 129, which was briefly interrupted by a streaker, uh, which was always, always love to see that on a, on a cricket field. Uh, interestingly, Pakistan's first innings, um, they got 239 all out. Big difference, just avoided the follow on. So at that point, we thought easy win for New Zealand, like they're bang on top. Um, they got 180 in that second innings for five and they declared um, putting Pakistan in, uh, you know, with a big total. It was over 300. So nobody really thought that Pakistan were going to chase it. They had a day, a day in a session, really, to um, to bat out to save the game, which looked even more unlikely after Masood and Abid, both their openers, both got out for a duck. So, you know, the pendulum is very much in, in New Zealand's uh, New Zealand's favour here. And then suddenly, would you believe it, an extraordinary partnership with Farad Alam and uh, Rizwan, wicketkeeper captain, um, 102 for Alam, one of our pod favourites, as, as you said, and a really, really um, strong 60 from Rizwan, um, pushed the game right into the final session. So it ended up being, uh, last night I was watching this, uh, it was four hours of cricket without a wicket for New Zealand. Huge partnership for those two. And then suddenly, um, a couple of wickets quickly after tea meant that New Zealand snatched the game, as you said, four and a half overs um, left of the day, and they got six wickets in that evening session. So you saw a game that just bounced from one extreme to another. New Zealand dominating with the bat, Pakistan looking really out of their depth in the conditions. I think it's worth noting that New Zealand in home conditions have some of the most formidable quicks in world cricket, I would argue. I mean, they just have a real, a real um, plethora of wonderful bowlers. Jameson's been exceptional this entire year, actually. I'm um, going to point out that Wagner had his toes broken by a Pakistan bowler and continued to bowl. So next time we see a forward go down clutching their head after being pushed in the back gently in, in football, you can carry on. Uh, it was really extraordinary. And what was even better is um, Pakistan were nine wickets down. And um, the last two bats, uh, Nasim and Shaheen, actually batted out for nearly 10 overs together. So it went right down to the wire. And one of the uh, one of the tail enders for Pakistan was actually smacked in the head as well by Ragnar. It was the it was the guy that broke his foot. So you had all these little subplots emerging. It was it was a glorious cricket. And like, honestly, I watched every ball, I think, yesterday and eight hours just disappeared. Um, and there's a lot of talking points. What I will say is that we're going to have a separate pod on this. Um, Tim, our Southern correspondent, is going to join Dan and I um, after the second test. It's a two test series and it was just magnificent cricket and fair play to both teams because it was it was glorious stuff. Spectacular summary there, Glenn. It sounded, I'm, I'm, gripped, <laughs> I'm gripped listening to you, let alone watching the cricket. So many little storylines coming out of that, so many narratives. And that's what we love about test cricket. Um, Shaheen Shah Afridi had a, had a couple of decent spells I did see uh, this was on YouTube by the way um, the worst way to consume test cricket but his can I just say his celebration where he sort of kisses his hands and does the little arms out winds me up so much no matter who he's playing against 
Um, I thought it would only be when he was against England, but watching him do it every time, as good a bowler as he is, just winds me up no end. But um, I'm sure New Zealand fans are getting used to that. And the guy with the whiteboard, did we all see the guy with the whiteboard in the crowd? Who was just, I think, a couple dad jokes on there. I think he was keeping a tally of Pakistan drops or misfield, something like that. So that was quite good fun as well. What a test match. It had everything. Um, should we have a quick update of the BBL? Uh, a, a short, snappy one. We'll have a full mid-season review part of this coming up soon. But a quick look at the table. I'll be honest, I've struggled to keep up with all of this. But the Sydney Sixers are top. Zach, how are you feeling about that? Yeah, pretty happy. And it's not... They haven't actually played that well. They had the last couple of games, they've snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. They've really looked like they were going to... They had 16 to get in the last over. I think there were seven down the other day and Jason Holder just, you know, hit some big sixes and won the game. Unfortunately, I think he he may have played his last game or he might only have one more, but he is leaving the Sydney Sixers soon. But actually, now he's pulled out of the West Indies Bangladesh tour, maybe he'll maybe he'll continue. That'd be quite nice. But if not, he's going to be replaced. He was meant to be replaced by Tom Curran. But again, Tom Curran's not coming. So who knows? Maybe Jason Holder will stay. He'd be, I hope he does, because like you said, he was part of that great finish the other day. There have been a couple of cracking finishes in these games. Very close. Good to see fans in as well. Uh, over in Australia and in New Zealand, incidentally. Um, Sydney Thunder is second. Hobart Hurricanes third. Adelaide Strikers fourth. I, I said just before we recorded, I think I've decided to change my allegiances to the Strikers because half the Sussex teams play there. I'm getting shakes of the head. I'm a plastic fan. Come on, I don't watch any of this. Um, and it's not even glory support because the Strikers are below the Hurricanes. Um, the Stars in fifth. The Heat in sixth. The Renegades in seventh. And Zach's outside pick, the Perth Scorchers, are winless at the bottom of the table plenty of time to come Zach it's fine and I remember when you when you gave us that final table you weren't you weren't too confident on it but you know that shout's looking great just yet um a, a couple of other bits of news it's been a really busy week and breaking you know yesterday um Jason Hole is gonna be one of well you just alluded to this Zach one of 10 West Indies players to miss the tour of Bangladesh that comes up uh Kieran Pollard, Darren Bravo, uh, Roston Chase, Sheldon Cottrell, Shai Hoper, a couple of the names to also be missing. So a pretty, you know, unrecognisable West Indies team will be travelling to Bangladesh if that even goes ahead. Um, this is, um, of course, of, of COVID concerns on their part. Um, another bit of news that came out yesterday is that former test umpire John Holder is suing the ECB uh, for alleged racial discrimination. Um, Will was saying off, off air, and if you want to go into this a little bit, Will, we've heard a few quotes from this and the story's been bubbling, but this has just come out as a official thing in the past couple of days. We have, yeah, and it's, it's in some ways similar to um, <clears throat> similar instances we've seen from players uh, in recent months talking about their experiences of, of racial discrimination in English clubs which is obviously not a great sign for the game, and um, but, but something which people have known has been present um, for a long time. It's interesting on, on the umpire story because he talks not just about selection for top-level umpires, um, but also deeper down the game. Um, and there's a quote in, in that article, which I, I recommend everybody should read, um, where they cite something that they the ECB haven't hired a single uh, black match official in about 30 years. Um, so... We obviously can't say too much on that because it's a ongoing court case, but but definitely something important to keep an eye on. Yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye on it, and we'll tweet out um, the article you're referencing there um, on the Guardian. A very interesting one. Um, and finally, before we get into the second test review, uh, the ICC Player of the Decade Awards. Was anybody ready for this? Was anybody interested in it, or did it just kind of happen as it happened to me? Yeah, nose all around the board. Excellent. 
So I think the qualifying period was, I'm guessing 20, well, the decade that just went. So 10 to 19, maybe. Anyway, I'll, I'll run through um, some of the individual awards. And then there was um, test ODI and T20 teams. Player of the decade went to Virat Kohli. Uh, he scored 20,396 runs in the qualification period. Not bad. Uh, won the Cricket World Cup in 2011 and the Champions Trophy in 2013. Uh, the female player of the decade, uh, no surprises here, Elise Perry. Um, she swept the board, really, for the, the, the women's awards in this. 4,349 runs and 213 wickets in the qualification period. And five World Cups, part of five World Cup winning teams um, during this decade. Test cricket of the decade, Steve Smith, uh, 7,040 runs in 69 tests, averaging 65, just a hint over 65 uh, over those years, uh, with 2,600, not bad. Uh, men's ODI player, Coley. Women's ODI player, Elise Perry again. Men's T20 player of the decade, Rashid Khan um, from Afghanistan. 89 wickets at just over 12 economy that's what i love the most with spinners 6.14 and the first player to take four wickets in four balls in a t20i that was against ireland i think in 2019 and the women's t20 player uh no surprises elise perry once again she's very good uh associate cricketers of the decade kyle kurtzer and Catherine bryce both representing scotland and ms Dhoni won the spirit of cricket award um for his recall of ian bell uh, of a run out uh, in 2011 that was a pretty unanimous one uh, the icc said any surprises in there boys anyone you wanted to see um zach you had an issue with the, with the test team decade of the year in which uh, kumar sangakara was named the wicket keeper yeah sangakara named as the wicket keeper even though he he kept wicket in zero test matches in the last decade uh, let me just read you this so bj watling 63 uh, test matches as wicket keeper suffers ahmed 48 johnny bairstow 48 Quinton de Kock, 46. Matt Pryor, 40. Kumar Sangakara, zero. <laughs> so I don't know how that works. I mean, if we delve into the T20 side as well, there's some more issues because they haven't really picked enough players to bowl. But, you know, they, they're good teams. Let's look at this T20 side because you're right, Zach. Their bowling would have to be filled up with uh, Chris Gale. Uh, maybe Glenn Maxwell bowling a four, a lotman of four. It's not the most scary side, um, you know, to probably bat against. Um, but Rohit Sharma, Chris Gale, Aaron Finch, Virat Kohli, A.B. de Villiers, not a bad top five from a batting perspective. And yeah, it feels like with the test team, they, amongst these names, again, I'll read you the top five, Cook, Warner, Williamson, Kohli, Smith, then comes Sangakara. If you just pop B.J. Watling in there, it would just look wrong, no matter how well he may have played. Um, maybe Matt Pryor, he wasn't that great. Maybe there's just been no decent wicket keepers in the past 10 years and they just plumped for one. Uh, ben Stokes at seven, Ashwin at eight, Stale at nine and Broad and Anderson were in there as well. Uh, a good English showing there. So, yeah, I think a couple of issues and, uh, you know, no one's crying over this, really. It wasn't wasn't massively interesting, but obviously something to mention, something that sparks a little bit of debate. Um, but let's come on to the, the one that should spark a bit of debate and a bit of anger or some happiness from Will, of course, which was um, the second test between Australia and India, another fascinating test match, uh, and one that India won. Uh, they've tied the series 1-1 um, after bowling Australia out for 195 in the first innings. Uh, they replied 326. Bowling Australia out again for 200 exactly, and then uh, chasing the 70 runs they needed for the loss of two wickets. Uh, an eight-wicket win. 
wow where to start this was great I, again i've not watched much of this boys i've youtubed it and we'll come on to unyoutubable things um shortly i'll come to you will first you're an india fan you look chuffed you're in your india top for the recording this evening thank you so much i'm just adding to it a little bit um should we start with the four india changes um we predicted five or perhaps five I was happy to see these all in. And obviously they were correct. They worked well. Two were enforced, but the other two, uh, Gill and, and Pant, really brought a lot to um, India. So I don't know where you want to start, mate. Selection, Rahane captain, Rahane batting, just just go for it. Just all of it. Well, I, I am, I'm <laughs> happily wearing my India shirt with no desire to burn it this time, unlike last pod. Um, I, I think it, what's incredible about the match is how it's sort of completely transformed the mood around the whole series. I mean, look, I had a cursory glance at the Australian media for their reaction to it. And, and I, I love that Fox Sports have gone with the headline. It's time for Australia to admit that India is just better than us, which is amazing given where we were about 10 days ago when they just got India <laughs> out for pretty much a record low score. Um, the, the Rahani captaincy situation is obviously a really interesting one. Um, Indian cricket Twitter has all sorts of slightly mad opinions about Virat Kohli. Um, which a lot of them are taking as, as justification that while he's a very good cricketer, he's not the right captain for this side. And Rahane being sort of lovely and approachable and a bit more of an Owen Morgan figure uh, is, is the reason that India won this match, um, which there's probably a little bit of something to, albeit not the whole story. Um, I think the interesting thing about this game that, that kind of, for me, is the story of the match overall is both sides had players out with injuries and in the end, the, the depth of India's bowling was better than the depth of Australia's batting. That's really what it came down to. Um, and, and you referenced there the selection choices. And it was it was really amazing to see both players who came in for their debuts, Gil and Siraj, both put in really good performances and, and kind of cement their places in that side for the rest of the series. Um, and both looked completely at home and, and sort of not put in performances which were good for debuts, but just brilliant performances all round. Gill, unlucky not to get to his half century, 45 and then 35 not out in, in the next innings. Uh, a, a marked improvement on uh, on Pritvi Shaw, unfortunately, to throw his name in. <laughs> um, and obviously, kind of, again, with, with losing Amesh Yadav means India have now got five seamers out. And yet still, the bowling attack uh, in Australian conditions performed amazingly well and, 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 and put kept that pressure on throughout. Um, I think the interesting thing, again, was was in the first innings, Australia sort of tried initially to have a slightly uh, to keep the run rate relatively high and just kept losing wickets all out for 195. In the second innings, they they didn't do that at all. It was a real slog. They got through about 100 overs and just made 200. Um, and yet, despite that, they were still losing wickets because they were just staying there and blocking, but facing so many deliveries that they could neither get runs away nor at some point hold out their wickets. So it was. It was brilliant bowling from India, both to have a wicket threat and to keep the keep the economy good. Um, so lots of positives there for India. They were coming into this right with with no captain. They'd lost their best wicket taking option in Shami, arguably, and perhaps some of their dignity was missing um, after being bowled out for 36. Yet they bounced back so convincingly in this game, and it had parallels to the first test in my opinion because they were on top of that for the first two days before the infamous 36. So. Zach, I don't know where you went. Where do you think it's gone right this time where it wasn't going right in the first test? Obviously, four new players in helps. But was it Australia being really bad this time and they couldn't they didn't get the the 36 all out or India just much better this time around? I think I wouldn't say I don't I don't think actually Australia were were much were in the bowling. I don't think they bowled much worse in this test match. It just kind of with the 36 all out. 
all of the catches stuck and all of the all of the balls that they played and missed out, they got an edge. Whereas at this time in the first innings, there was quite a few drops, like there was for um, India. India dropped a few in Australia's first innings in the first test. But then this time round, Australia dropped, I think... Gill on his 45 got dropped at least twice. There's a third one that you could maybe call a drop, I think. And then Rahane, I think, was dropped at least once. There was a few that going down the slips, a few falling short. So it was a bit, it's a mixture of luck, but that's always the way it is when you when you win games like this. And if we're talking about catches going down, it does show that these sides are, are pretty close to each other. And I think, yeah, like you said, the, t- the players coming in, they worked. Gill, like you said, looked assured. Siraj, how many wickets is he going to take in England next summer with the ball moving around? I'm, I'm seriously worried about that, but also seriously excited to see it. And yeah, Bumrah, Bumrah looked, I don't know, he, he looked a little bit off it in the first game. Not not like he was bowling badly, but he didn't look quite up to his best. But in this game, with four for 56 in the first innings, he was right on the money again. Yeah, I thought India's bowling looked exceptional throughout the Test match. Um Ben Jones tweets something really interesting saying that in the 36 all out uh, in, of the first test, 48% of the Australian bowling was on a good line in length. Um, I don't know how he defines that. Um, but today, in referencing the first day of the Boxing Day test match, uh, India managed 49% and they were swinging it more than Australia and Adelaide and were quicker. As you said, Zach, this is a frightening attack. Um, I thought Siraj looked amazing. Um, Glenn, you, you were watching Gill's first innings, um, his 45 as assured as he did look was it a little bit streaky was he a little bit lucky I think Zach mentioned a couple of catches that went down and you'd expect that for a debutant in Australia but he did well to grind out a 45 and kind of get India going in this test match I think a bit of both I think you've all made some really good points there I think uh, he had a bit of luck but I think it's fair to say India will probably do some after you know the calamity of the last test it was really difficult. I mean, you know, um, Stark, who who reached the 250 test wickets this test, and Cummings, I mean, and Hazelwood. I mean, again, similar to the New Zealand attack I, I mentioned a few minutes ago, on home conditions, this is up there with the best in the world. Um, so I think he did really well. I think it was a gritty innings. I think his, his head could have gone down after, you know, giving away some chances, looking a little bit ropey, especially when he lost his opening partner, who got naught. Um, I think there was a bit of pressure on him because, uh, you know, you know, Pajara went for 17. And then obviously a lot of people were thinking, is this Groundhog Day? But no, he stuck around. Um, he, he scored pretty quickly, strike rate of 69, hit eight fours. So what I liked is that it was a positive innings. He wasn't, he, he, at times it was scratchy, but it was very much an innings that tried to put um, India in the driving seat. And in in relation to that, I'd just like to mention Pant's um, innings. Now, in this scorecard, 29 might not look like very much in terms of runs it's not but what I really liked was his attitude so I made a note when I was watching it I watched most of India's first innings live and Pant hit two fours off one Cummings over and I kind of noted that as the turning point in the test where India went from defending and trying to you know banish the memory of last week to actually taking some momentum and attacking Australia and you could just see the change in the in the fielders after Pan went on the attack yeah he didn't get that many runs but it was just a real a real kind of brave innings I think because you know we've heard on this pod we've mentioned um, Will's you know um, reference how Pan you know he can 
be fantastic or he can be incredibly frustrating and this is one of those innings that i think was more towards the fantastic and i just want to shout out my favorite moment of the game which is about three or four balls after running out rahane for 112 jadeda still did his little twirling sword celebration which i thought was hilarious and that had me laughing because if i had ran out my captain i would not be twirling any back <laughs> anywhere he could see uh but i think it was a grave uh brave gritty performance from india and they deservedly run and just one more note um that's really important no batsman scored um 50 for australia which is the first time that's happened in a home australian test since 1988 to 89 so i mean what we're talking you know 30 30 odd years since that's happened which as we've all mentioned, speaks to the real quality of that Indian bowling, despite injuries during the match. I mean, it's outstanding from them. Will, I saw you perk up when Glenn mentioned Rishabh Pant there, and <laughs> there was a fun bit of debate on on Twitter as to whether, I can't remember how, how it went exactly, but it was like, you know, a frisky 30. Is that any good? And then, no, he gets out for 29, so it's not a frisky 30. <laughs> it's, it's something else because he didn't get into the 30s. Um what did you think to Pan's performance? I mean, I'm inclined to agree with Glenn. I think 29 on the scorecard isn't great, but the way he went about it and the way he hopefully in the future can go about it for India can be a great counter-attacking option. Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's a great point from Glenn. I think someone tweeted something like, he's not Kevin Peterson, he's James Vince, which which is a bit <laughs> harsh. Um, but but I think you're absolutely right. It, it injected some momentum into that innings, not just for Pant's 29, but once Pant then got out, Rahane continued that momentum and that was the point that he started to up the run rate himself and continued that with his partnership with Jadeja. Um and, and I love the point that Glenn made about the bat twirling, which you 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 know on this podcast I'm in love with anyway. But um it got it got a lot of attention on on uh, on Twitter as an illustration of Rahane's captaincy skills because he didn't do a sort of Kohli freak out glare at his batting partner. As soon as he got run out, he went over to Jadeja and was just like, yeah, cool, keep it going. This is now on you. Um, even though he then walked for 57. But it was still nice that, yeah. that he could keep that momentum going without the captain. Um, the other guy who hasn't really got a mention yet is Ashwin's bowling, mm-hmm. which was sort of unbelievable. And at, at times he just seemed to be having fun with the bowlers. He was throwing in a few leggies, amazing variations, different flights. Um, he's really worked out how to bowl well in Australian conditions. Um, and to get Smith at the time that he did uh, in the second innings was another turning point in the match and, and absolutely crucial in, in turning that around. Um, and he's now apparently got the most, he's overtaken Murali for the most wickets of left-handers in Test cricket, which is a nice little record for him. I love the delivery that got out Labashain. It was just an arm ball, but it, 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 it... The way he bowls, the ball does all sorts in the air. Maybe it, maybe maybe it's an illusion, but it just went on with the arm and went straight on, and he nicked it to slip. That was a thing of beauty. And yeah, he's 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 got Smith really in, in his back pocket, hasn't he? Um, Smith only scoring eight runs the whole test. Ashwin getting him out for a duck. And I, again on Rahani's captaincy, this was the first time I think outside of India for a long time. I can't remember the exact time, but for a long time that the captain has gone to a spinner first instead of the third seamer. That might have had something to do with Siraj playing on debut, but I think that shows um, India's confidence in Ashwin, uh, his seniority, and you know his quality um, in in non sub in non subcontinent conditions at the minute as well. He's doing really well. Um, should we should we talk about Rahane um, more? Perhaps the batsman than uh, the captain for now. 
um at sid v on twitter i think this is a perfect tweet to sum it up especially because i can't watch much of it because i'm asleep half the time not <laughs> no well i'm asleep at the right time i'm not like lazy i am but um rahani's 100 is an unyoutubable innings uh the last minute softening of the grip the glides past gully the quick running the cat and mouse versus lion the unflappability refocusing after the breaks these are beyond highlights uh i thought that was a great way to put it um, and Zach, you were saying you were you were watching a bit of YouTube to try and catch up earlier. Could you get a sense of Rohani's innings from that, or do you think um, at Sid V is is correct? <laughs> I think you know you you can say you try and get a bit of a sense of, but you don't you don't get a sense of a century. You can you you just see the nice shots. You don't see the hard work that goes into it. You, the only bits of it you see are the are the falls he hits, the singles they hit to get a, to get to a mile stone or the chances that they they give out so i feel like glenn you're probably better placed to talk about the amazement and the brilliance of this innings yeah it was fantastic and interesting De rahane joins um Vanu mancad the mancad which is the the whole knocking the bells off is named after he's only oh. the second indian to get uh 200s at the mcg so a real extraordinary achievement um, and it meant I could read about Mancad because a commentator mentioned that and <laughs> I didn't know much about about the uh, about the bloke. Um, it was it was wonderful. I mean, it was you know, we talk about, um, you know, captain's innings and it's a bit of a cliche, but this certainly was one of them. Um, you know, he took responsibility. And I think it's really important to also note that in the India second innings, obviously none of us expected them to not get the runs. But there was a there was a moment, uh, you know, when they were two wickets down and it just looked as if it could be a bit uncomfortable. Uh, no, as you mentioned, Gil and Rahane coming in as captain just got their heads down, saw the game out. So I think he deserves credit for that. And we're probably not going to mention it much because of his magnificent hundred, which was ended ended prematurely due to an unfortunate run out. But again, he showed that metal to actually step up there. A couple of early wickets gone and actually guide them to the win himself. So I think it was an outstanding test. And I think he's won. I don't know if we mentioned it earlier, but he's every every test he's been captain of, they have won. I think it's three out of three. So good captaincy as well. I think he rotated his boulders very well, um, especially when you think about the injury to one of the quicks. And I think yeah, you mentioned uh, you mentioned the spinners um, earlier. Um, they use them they use them really well. And Ashwin just looked fantastic. Um, and Jajeda, um, the, the way he rotated them throughout the day, didn't throughout the test, didn't let the Australians settle. And I think he batted beautifully and captained really well so i think a super impressive test from him it's obviously farcical to perhaps suggest that a good rest of the series might see Cody drop from the captaincy i think it's definitely farcical uh this is Cody's team in his image however rahani's got two tests here um as a batsman and as a captain and he's you know anything could happen in the third and fourth test but if we get the similar sort of thing we do in the second test um I don't know, is his standing in the team going to be better? I feel like maybe he didn't... Will, you're better placed than this. Does he get the sort of respect that other great Indian batsmen have and do currently, um, especially middle-order batsmen, and then his time sort of nipping in and out of captaincy? You know, where is his place in Indian sort of... the, the mindset of India fans? Yeah, it's a good point. And I think it is, as you say, farcical to suggest that he could get the captaincy <laughs> off, off Curly, But it's definitely important to him to cement the vice-captaincy. Uh, because there's been Rohit Sharma's come in and out of that role at times as well. And there are others that are sort of breathing down the shoulder of, of potentially getting that. Um, so it, it would certainly be a beneficial scenario for India moving forward if you could have a sort of captain and sub-captain role and, and, the, and the players look to Rahane for their slightly cuddlier figure in the dressing room. Um, 
that's certainly a good thing. And if, if, if he can win the last two tests here, that would be an unbelievable series win and, and probably would uh, would get some people calling for him to get it get it full time. He is cuddly, isn't he? I feel like he's the antithesis he of Cody's sort of just general demeanour on a cricket field and in, in post-match conferences. I don't know. He does seem nice, and, though. And I should say as well, he's, he's a very, he seems like a very lovely man, and I'm pleased for him because Rajasthan have absolutely shunted him around in the last couple of years. <laughs> he, he went from being Rajasthan captain to out the squad and then got sent off to Delhi where they then started to not play him. So a, t- a tough year for him. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased that he's, a, he's got the respect he deserves now. Sorry, Danny. Danny, are you saying that um, Kohli and Rahani could be like good cop, bad cop in the dressing room? Oh, could, that maybe, sounds fantastic. Maybe that's the combination. I think so. I think when Kohli, when Kohli, if ever he gets run out again, he can just berate somebody. And then Rahani comes with, with a hot cup of cocoa and just puts his arm around and says, all right, mate, it's all good. And then everyone gets on because Kohli can do his thing. And then Rahani's there to kind of mop up after him a little bit and just sort of, you know, dry some tears and give a few hugs around. I like that idea. So I, I hope to see that for longer. I'd love to be a fly on the wall in that dressing room. So with uh, Yadav injured, he is out of the next test, right? That's confirmed. Um, who are they bringing in? And we spoke about this um, just before we start recording. Uh, are there any names flying about? Is someone anyone we should know about? Well, I've seen some some people amazingly calling for, for three changes by the next match, um, in addition to the four they made in time for the second Jeez. test, which seems absolutely mad um but such are indian cricket fans at times um <laughs> so so yeah Amesh Yadav definitely looks like he's out for for the third and probably will be back in time for the fourth but not quite sure on that it's interesting that at the start of the tour it looked like Saini was the natural next one off the next cab off the rank who'd probably come in um but most of the indian media now seem much keener on Natarajan it sounds like he might be in line to make his debut um and then you've obviously got questions around the batting order because you've got Rohit Sharma who's finally finished his period of quarantine in Australia and has rejoined the squad. So he will probably come straight back in, likely for my ankle, though it could be for Vihari if they want him later down the order. Um, and then the, the third would be KL Rahul for either of those batsmen if you want to change both of them, which I think is unlikely and probably not sensible to, to disrupt everything at this stage. Um, but I think you probably will see two changes from India. I look forward to seeing a, a whole over of Yorkers then from Natarajan at the, at the top of the innings. Let's hope so. We know how good he is at them. Um, and yeah, exciting times for India. And I think they look fantastic. Um, a lot of character to come back from that 36 all out, I thought. And again, they put themselves in a winning position this test match and they finished it off. And the fact they look great in the first test by that one sort of session, I think bodes well for the rest of the series. Um, and our predictions perhaps in the second test, after the first test rather, might be a bit wild. We don't know. But let's come on to Australia because you know, they're going to help decide whether our predictions are correct or not. Um, fairly disastrous, I guess. The Boxing Day Test match, the sort of um, pinnacle of Australian sport, uh, ruined by a touring team. Where do we start, Zach? You you don't like Travis Head. Or whether you do or don't, you think he'll be, he'll be going out of this team. And just a moment for, for, for poor Joe Burns. I think it was the first or maybe the second innings in which... He got out by, he nicked it, it hit his pad and flicked the stump. So he, he, he was almost out three times. Um, I think they eventually gave him caught behind because he did nick it. He, he's now gone already. We know that out of the squad. Where does this Australia team have a little mini rebuild in this series? Where, where are you eyeing up their main changes? It's obviously in the batting lineup because the bowling's still great. But where within that batting lineup? Yeah, I mean, the main thing that's come back is I think Warner, Warner is fit. 
He's been, I think he's been past fit for the for the third test, so that's the main thing. Having him, you know, going at it from the start, and just because then they kind of, as long as Labuschagne, Labuschagne seems to keep getting runs, even though he looks horrendously out of nick. I don't like. He got 48 in the first innings and 28 in the second, but seemed like he was going to get out every other ball. So if he's if this is him out of Nick, I worry about when he comes back into Nick. <laughs> but yeah, I think Warner coming back in for Burns, but then I don't. I mean, then Pukowski again apparently has been passed fit, but he because he got concussed and actually has a history of concussion. I think he's been concussed 11 times, which for wow. a young batsman. <laughs> I don't know how I don't know how that happens. Is he horrendously unlucky, or is he especially susceptible? Well, he's got a really big head. <laughs> <laughs> he plays a forward. Yeah, he I plays think... a forward defensive with his forehead. It's a terrible technique <laughs> issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Warner to come in, and then it's it's whether they put Wade down to five, and then take out Head and bring in Pukowski. But then two new openers. Does that seem a bit rash? But then this opening partnership neither of which have been doing well this open partnership has been almost non-existent in well in, in this test and the first test as well and then wade yeah because wade he hasn't done anything that wrong but he's not an opening batsman and doesn't look especially like an opening batsman so i think he's his place is in the middle order and i don't think he deserves to be dropped so yeah drop him down to five and get rid of poor travis head who keeps being touted as a future australian captain and then keeps batting quite badly so yeah I like I like those changes actually because uh, Wade again I think you make a good point there's nothing wrong particularly he's just not he's just not an opener and I think it's just something aesthetic more than anything it just looks wrong uh, especially in Test cricket to see a guy like that at the top of the order and that yeah Burns Wade is not an Australian great opening partnership um, so I think you, you can be willing to probably have two new openers for that providing Bukowski you know isn't it, it, walking around the wrong way or puts his pads on wrong or just can't remember what day of the week it is depending on how bad his concussion is. Um, let's talk about Steve Smith, men's test player of the decade. Um, 10 runs this whole series, Glenn. I mean, you know, is he done is my first question. <laughs> yeah, career over, obviously. <laughs> that's that's the first thing we want to say. He should retire. Um, yeah, he, he looks, obviously, it goes without saying, looking at the figures, um, horrendously out of Nick. I don't quite know why. I mean, you know, a home test, obviously, it's been it's it's worth noting that it's been a pretty low scoring series so far. Right. That's 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 quite clear. But that doesn't explain why he's, you know, failed so dramatically. Um, you know, it's not often you see him get a duck in the first innings. Um, it took him 30 balls to get eight runs in that second innings. Didn't look very comfortable at the crease at all. Um, it's a real strange one. And to be perfectly honest, I'm not quite sure the reasons why. Um, clearly something isn't clicking for him uh, I guess another thing is you wouldn't have thought there was like tremendous pressure on him after that dominant win in that first in the first game right despite him not scoring hugely then Australia would have gone into this second test feeling confident feeling energized you know um, after that fantastic result for them but no it, it didn't translate to runs and I think maybe um, you know the top order failing um consistently this series is um is going to put more pressure on him at four but again you know test test batsman of the decade you know you expect more from him and what that does mean is coming into this third test there is pressure on him so it'd be very very interesting to see how he does react to that is that gonna you know create the conditions for another one of his famous 
high high scores where he looks like he could bat um i remember an ashes series it was um must have been three years ago i think because i was living in massachusetts and i had the time difference so i could watch it all and i just have this horrible image of just watching steve smith for eight hours a day for a couple of weeks and it was horrifying and he feels like a different batsman at the minute so i think he is obviously one to watch um in this third test to see how he adapts to this pressure um someone i would i would mention is cam green um coming coming into this um coming into the side and his bowling um i watched a lot of his bowling in the fur in india's first innings especially his radar was off um the commentator the comms team made some really nice um observations regarding his total lack of consistency he would bang it in short bring it in too full there was he didn't have a test match consistency and one of the comms rather harshly said that he he had the um, first class bowling but he didn't have the test quality of bowling yet but they still spoke to his potential as you know he's very quick and he's had a lot of injuries as well a lot of stress stress factors to the back so that's been tough for him but his batting was really good and uh, especially in that second innings um, he got a very very um, uh, gritty again just feels like the right word for these innings 45 he stuck around there 146 balls uh, you know strike rate of 30 it was a proper test innings so while he was disappointing with the ball, I think he really picked up a lot of slack um, and got the highest score for Australia in that second inning. So while Smith is obviously a worry, I think there's a lot of positives to take from Green, who is young and looks like a really, really tidy player. I think that's an interesting point you make about Smith, because like you said, he's not been great this series, but it's been a low scoring series. I was just looking at the scorecards for when Pakistan went to Australia last last. Australian summer when Warner and Labuschagne hit mammoth scores in both tests and Steve Smith got four in the same innings that David Warner got 154 and Manus Labuschagne got 185 so I think like you say about the no one's really scored centuries apart from Rahane in this test but even when obviously those pitches were flatter he, he still wasn't getting the scores so I don't, I don't know what it is really I, I saw something that was saying apparently India bowled straighter to Smith rather than because mm. England I can't remember which Ashes series it was we just decided to bowl four foot outside the off stump <laughs> to him to stop him playing it on, on his legs and everyone seems to everyone seems to always try and have this different plan that's going to get Steve Smith out but actually I think India this time they bowled at the stumps I, I, who knew that if you bowl at the stumps you might you might get him out because obviously he may be you know the greatest batsman of the last 10 years but they they do miss sometimes, don't they? And that seems to it seems to be working. I remember when well was it last Ashes, but it seemed to be an LBW the last home Ashes in the UK that would get him out or something, you know, where he steps too far across. Uh, the dismissal in the second innings where he was bowled around his legs by Brumra was an interesting one. And again, Glenn makes a great point that because Australia lost, it's going to be become part of the narrative of the third test. He, he hasn't got away with it this time, and he looked like he refused to believe he was bowled because he kind of missed it. It, it dislodged the bail. It wasn't, you know, a cartwheeling leg stump and just sort of ran anyway. And then everyone was like, there's an appeal. And then there was a point and there was always out. And then, and then he walked in the end, obviously. But yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And on Cam Green, all rounders are hard to come by at the minute, aren't they? So I think he's a great asset for Australia, even if his bowling isn't there yet. And they don't, they don't need him desperately from a bowling perspective with Hazelwood, Stark and Cummins as their front three with Lyons supporting. So, give him a few test matches to get used to it. And hopefully his bowling can become test quality, um, a bit more consistency. I think you're right to point out there, Glenn. Um, Warner has to come back in. I think the way he controls the pace at the top of the innings, they've really missed. Wade tries to do it, but it's just a bit more chaotic than Warner is. 
Uh, Pukowski will probably come in. Um, and then, yeah, Head will probably go as well. Obviously, the bowling attack won't change. But can anyone see Australia bouncing back from this? Are we, are we, will, are you scared about an, an angry Australia, perhaps, to the third test? Or do you think there's some some big issues that we didn't mention in the first test because they won that have reappeared in the second test and might carry over to the third? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very hesitant on this podcast to, to yeah. um, sort of... A, damn the Australian batting lineup and, and suggest that this is, you know, they're done now. They won't come back because they, they, they probably will. Um, and the, the, as you said, the main bowling lineup is still terrifying and just as terrifying as it, as it is every test. It's that they, you know, you can't expect to score high scores every single test match against Cummings and Stark and Hazelwood. Um, and I just, I have, I have this sinking feeling in me that Smith will enjoy people starting to doubt him and come out with a century next time around. Um, and obviously sort of, having Warner there alongside him to set the tempo early on so he doesn't have to come in as early as he did in this in these two matches will probably help him a lot so I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Australia look a lot more like the, the batting side that we expect them to and then from an India perspective again I'll sit with you Will to start but what do you expect those changes that you mentioned um, a few minutes ago with, with Sharma to definitely come straight back into this team and then the enforced change with Yadav missing out yeah, it's interesting that, that both changes kind of parallel each other with Warner and Sharma coming back in um, and changing up opening partnerships, which haven't delivered, albeit not completely disgraced themselves. Um, Wade and Mayank neither particularly deserve to be dropped, but both probably will be uh, for Sharma and, and Warner and Pukowski. Um, and then, yeah, um, I'd imagine Natarajan will come in um, for Ramesh. Zach, you think it's similar things and excited to see Natarajan in, in whites for the first time? Yeah, I think the Natarajan thing's interesting because yeah, I'm really excited to see him. Not not gonna not gonna lie, I, don't, I haven't actually seen him bowl with a red ball before, but him bowling with a white ball was really exciting. So that that'll be good to see. I'm, I am surprised that they've kind of gone with. It looks like they're gonna go with him over Saini because Saini kind of, with his extra bit of pace, seems like in Australia the natural option. But maybe because because of the way the other teams have been doing, they kind of want someone who will maybe have a little bit more control because I think Saini can be a little bit all over the place. So that could, obviously, if he bowled, say he bowled one spell that went for, you know, eight and over, that could change the, that could change the, the tide of a game. But maybe Nataraj and they think of as more of a control option. I mean, I think it's definitely, I'm, I'm kind of assuming based on the, on the talk that it'll be Nataraj and it could well be, Saini. It's interesting that that, that that probably comes mainly of media reaction to their performances in the in the short formats. Natarajan bowling a lot better. I saw I saw this quote from from one Indian media outlet after Saini's performance that said, uh, "Saini, like a lot of others on his first tour of Australia, has looked utterly clueless," uh, which which is which is unfortunate and a bit hard. No holds so barred for it, the young player. I love that. It may just it may just be media overreaction that they they decided to talk about Natarajan. We we could still see Saini. Wait, so he's looked clueless without without having played the game. He played in the short format. Oh, in the short format, of course, of course. Yeah. I was thinking, I forgot, I've completely forgotten they did ODIs and T20s. I had. They, They'd be they watching him like in the nets. They were watching him in the nets, and he wasn't bowling that great. So let's write a scathing article about this young player and just just really demolish him while we can on this tour. That's that's fascinating. Um, and Glenn, I'll come to you. Uh, how are Brentford getting on? More importantly, yeah, it has just kicked off. I, I hate to distract you. So actually, uh, within 40 seconds, Bournemouth charged down the pitch, uh, was were one on one, and we cleared it off the line. They beat the goalkeeper, and we cleared it off 
the line. So it's been an entertaining first minute so far, and it looked like it might have crept over the line. So thankfully, no no goal line technology in the in the championship that I'm aware of. Um, <laughs> more relevant to, to to us and our listeners, I guess, is that is that next game. I think it's going to be extremely competitive and i think it couldn't really be balanced any better because had australia steamrolled india in the second game then you know we're looking at a really demoralized team we're looking at will crying again for an hour every week which nobody wants to see nor hear um so yeah i'm really really excited i think yeah in a way i think actually there probably is more um the pressure's flipped again and it's australia because you know they've got an excellent record at home um very very dominant team on on home soil so it, it it's it would be pretty embarrassing after that first game in the context of that big win to be rolled over so i think i think the ball's in india's court and i yeah you you've I, I totally agree with you um your discussion regarding the changes for both teams um yeah i think the opener um unfortunately burns had to go you know a, a shocking run of form just didn't look very confident um 63 runs across four innings just it, it's it's tough and a lot of very low scores within them within those four so yeah i i'm really excited for it and i think we've got a real quality series we've got a lot of quality cricket at the minute um i would recommend everyone have a look at the the second new zealand pakistan test because that has been equally as entertaining in very different ways um maybe give the sri lanka a miss sounded pretty dull from what we've all all discussed so far uh could be my ignorance but yeah i think honestly you know we've all got you know lockdowns in the uk and similar-ish in america and it's brilliant to have so much high quality sport to to really enjoy um so i'm just thankful for that right now well said glenn that that was uplifting actually that was, <laughs> that was really nice like i said i've just been knocked into tier four here in the midlands and birmingham lost four nil at home to derby yesterday so three in the that's first really bright in my mood that's really <laughs> bright in my mood um and yeah if we were to prioritize you know or there's a lot of cricket going on so for listeners if you want to prioritize it in australia's got to be top uh, I'd say New Zealand, Pakistan after this first test was fantastic. Then the BBL. And if you really want more cricket, there is that Sri Lanka tour of, of South Africa. Um, sorry to any South Africans or Sri Lankans. It's it's fine. It's just not the greatest at the minute. Um, so, yeah, a really finely poised series. Um, a, a lot to look forward to. We'll have a review of that test match, the third test, which starts on the 7th of January um, in Australia and the 6th for, for most of us here um, in the UK. Um, we will have a review of the New Zealand Pakistan test series uh, that Glenn mentioned and we'll have a half season review of the BBL and talk to you about some of the big moments in that. A lot of stories coming out of it and we'll try and summarise those, uh, summarise those for you. Uh, as for this pod, that wrap, uh, about wraps it up um, from all of us here at Cow Corner. Happy New Year. Let's hope 2021 uh, is better than 2020 and we don't need to go into why. Um, and let's hope for some great cricket. We've got a lot to come in 2021. So Happy New Year from all of us um and thank you um to glenn will and zach uh glenn enjoy the rest of the football mate yeah i'll try to (laughs) uh will thank you for joining us thank you very much and zach i'll see you in 2021 see you in 2021 and we will see you all in 2021 as well thank you so much for listening Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, 
you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at lifemd.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.